So I guess there's more to say about freedom here. And why not? Because it is one of the primary issues. You know, one of the ways that I've thought of characterizing the biggest struggle happening in humanity over a very long period of time, historically, you could say, because we're social animals, is this basic conflict between, you know, individual liberty and a group uh, discipline, you could say. There's a lot of different ways of formulating that, but, you know, it kind of comes down to a question of, uh, you know, people being put to use by uh, other people for the purposes of some goal, whether they like it or not. And, you know, the extreme case of that is slavery, but basically, you know, the economy produces a similar result, not as brutal, but it can be pretty brutal. But, I, you know, the question is, well, assuming that large numbers of people do need to be organized into somewhat cohesive groups, you know, how do you do that? How do you get this done? How do you keep organizations together? How do you get people to do what they would not otherwise, you know, normally want to do? And then on the other side of the ledger, of course, is, well, how do you maintain some kind of, you know, individual sovereignty? How do you enjoy your own life? How do you exercise your capabilities? How do you explore the world in the way that you see fit, given that as far as we can tell, this is the one life that we have and we should use it wisely and, and you know, go forth and, and, you know, from my point of view, ideally learn what there is to learn. You know, I think a lot of other people uh, are more about, you know, enjoy what there is to enjoy. I mean, certainly that's a factor for me too, but I don't think it's the most important thing. You know, obviously a lot of people, when it comes to self-motivation, it's all about trying to get the things that you enjoy. And that's kind of the incentive for participating in uh, the various social enterprises, you know, for better or worse. In other words, there's supposed to be some sort of a reward for hard work, right? And that maybe represents some sort of balance between the individual and the collective, the desires of the individual and the demands of the collective. So I heard a couple of things recently that just trigger a set of thoughts that I think are worth articulating. I'm, I'm sure some of you are aware of this recent controversy with Scott Adams, who's the Dilbert cartoonist who uh, took a look at a Rasmussen poll that asked black people whether it's okay to be white. And I guess, you know, a a relatively significant number, I think it was like 50 some odd percent said, yeah, it's okay to be white. But then the rest basically said, no, I think it was 20 something percent said, no, it's not okay to be white. And the others said, I don't know. (laughs) And on the basis of that, he basically said, well, you know, that's a group that, that has a significant number of people within it that have a low opinion of me. And so um, it would be stupid for me to spend a lot of time and energy in that group, right? And he, he took pains to say it's not about individuals. 
He's just saying, in general, if there's a group of people who have a bad opinion of you, then uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend time with them. Of course, the way that he decided to say this is uh, in a manner that he characterizes as hyperbole, but which uh, I think I would call stupidity. Now, the justification that he provides is that if he hadn't said it in the offensive manner that he had said it, then it would have gone ignored. And, you know, I really can't argue with that. If he had been as reasonable as I just was in the way that I described it, I'm sure that no one would pay attention to it at all. So, you know, he probably has a point there. Uh, he's an annoying guy. He's a very anno- And, you know, I'm not saying that I necessarily think he's right about any of this. I just think he has an interesting point of view that's worth listening to. There's a number of things that I think he's obviously wrong about. But I think that's the case with most of us, right? So it's just another interesting kind of case of the way things are characterized. And what I've noticed is that um, talking about this is incredibly risky. I think there's a lot of people who just think the moment you say anything about Scott Adams, you must be a racist. That's how strong the uh, the propaganda is. So, you know, our ability to just simply consider things on the basis of what they are rather on what they've come to represent in whatever our particular social cohort is, I think has really deteriorated. It's extremely difficult to uh, to penetrate even incredibly intelligent people who belong to certain, you know, like you say, they're basically the blue church, I guess would be one way of characterizing it. Um, very difficult very difficult. But I think that that's really, in in many respects, what's necessary. And that's why I've gone on this gigantic tangent in this episode here. So, you know, that's a huge shitstorm. That's his own making. And whether or not it's, you know, he's, he, he's trying to make a point. And whether he's making a point or just creating a big mess, who the hell knows? And I'd just like to insert here... Uh, an observation, because I've been following this story. It, it strikes me as being pretty odd that Adams is presenting himself as someone who's all about success. <laughs> like, it, it, his whole thing is, I'm not just a cartoonist. I've written all these books, and I'm an expert at uh, persuasion and how to be successful. And he literally just like got completely canceled. So it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how this plays out. You know, part of me just feels like he's so lacking in humility. I can't see it working out well. But I'm actually amazed at the public appearances that he's made. He's made so far, where it seems like he's done pretty well in. And he has an important thing to say. He has something that's really worthwhile hearing. All of this racial stuff is a diversion to keep the rich people in power so that you're fighting over race. So the idiots who want us to fight about systemic racism, which is real and needs to be dismantled, it's all diversion. We should be helping each other learn how to do this stuff. And by this stuff, what he's referring to is a set of particular recommendations on success strategies. So having a good talent stack, the things that you're capable at, 
that he, the idea that systems are better than goals, uh, being good at networking, taking micro steps so that everything is manageable on a path towards success, and having, a, an, in general, a future focus, which means not obsessing about what happened in the past, which is one of his main criticisms about the way that racism is being dealt with, but instead focusing on the future, which he breaks down into having a sense of reciprocity, the uh, give and take, uh, a sense of optimism, and, uh, and he believes in affirmations in articulating what it is that you are, in essence, so that you feel more solid in what it is that you're doing. So I hope that that is the message that prevails in this situation, because I do believe that we are in a systemically racist situation, and not just in the classical sense, that racism is abounding in all kinds of ways now, you could say it's like a reverse racism that's been piled on top of the original racism, which sort of, in some ways, I think, inflames that that kind of, you know, let's say legacy race, racism. So and we're really in trouble because of that. A house divided cannot stand. That's really what it is. And we're a diverse uh, civilization. So we really do have to get over this. And he has taken an incredible risk. He's basically lost not only his income, which for him probably doesn't matter, at least it won't matter for a while, but also uh, you could say that he's put his entire reputation at risk in order to simply have this conversation. So I do think that's admirable. And uh, although I do find, you know, it makes me wince sometimes the way he goes about doing it, but maybe that's necessary. Maybe that's part of the persuasion technique that I don't understand. So I'm willing to be schooled on that. At any rate, let's put that aside for a moment. I think it's worth paying attention to, you know, but let's put it aside and get back to whatever the hell I was talking about before, which has to do with the issue of freedom. And he's <laughs> he's basically come out and said, well, the next part of what I said originally here. Here we go. But what he did say that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, now that he's been canceled and basically fired, for, he, you know, all of his book contracts are gone. Uh, all of his cartoons are, are canceled out of all the magazines. So he's basically just like income goes to zero pretty much, except apparently for his like locals groups so of people who sign up to hear him spiel on his daily coffee with Scott Adams live stream, he said that, I, you know, now I'm like the only free man in America. And then he said, uh, except Jordan Peterson, but of course, Jordan Peterson is Canadian. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. So, you know, on some level, I wonder if that's true. <laughs> you know, and then I was listening to actually a interview with Christopher Rufo and Jordan Peterson. And Rufo's a guy who used to be a left-winger who worked for NPR. And then he kind of got sick of all the, the bullshit and came out as having questions about the, the liberal uh, standard narrative and was sort of leaning right. And then he basically got canceled and, you know, couldn't work for NPR anymore. <laughs> so basically became a, a figure on the right which is a similar story to Peterson, you know, and they were talking about how how restrictive it feels when you're hanging out with liberals 
like you, you have to be very careful about what you say. And so, you know, it's very difficult to just be honest with people because when you're being honest with people, you're going to say what you think. And if you uh, are talking to people who have a set of things that are going to shut them down when it comes to talking with you, well, then, you know, basically you're not free to speak. So there's a freedom issue there, right? And the freedom issue is being high lit by these people who are, you could say, all refugees from the liberal establishment. But, uh, you know, particularly in the case of Peterson and Adams, what they've done is they've found incredible success uh, that allows them to be independent. So it's that economic aspect that I want to focus on because, you know, is it, is it the case now that freedom is essentially a luxury? You know, if, if the primary story for most of humanity is grow up and get a job with a corporation, work, you know, whatever it is, 30 years, retire. So, you know, working for a corporation means you have to abide by these rules. And it's extremely inconvenient to, like, keep shifting your overall mode of behavior. So you essentially have to abide by those rules through your life. And it's not as if that means that you can't do some of what you want to do. It just means that there's certain things you can't say or do. And it's very inconvenient if you're part of a culture to try to maintain a set of ideas that are incompatible with the structure of that corporation. And, you know, this is also this is true of any institution. So government, government workers, right, there's a culture. And that culture has a set of rules. And part of those rules are uh, unspoken. They're... They're basically a set of behaviors that everyone uh, adopts, whether consciously or unconsciously. And some of it has to do with a set of agreements about what people think are, you know, what's right. So on a certain very basic level, people can't afford in their lives, you know, given the real circumstances of their lives, they can't afford to entertain Things that are outside the parameters of their day-to-day bread and butter. This seems realistic and, and obvious, right? And so what it takes in order to be someone who asserts their own individual point of view is financial independence. And so... You know, you have to to wonder the extent to which it's realistic, you know, to see these paragons of free speech and liberty as a model in a world where most jobs are with large corporations, particularly because, you know, mo- many of the alternatives have been drying up and particularly since covid You know, the number of smaller independent businesses that have gone under, I mean, this has been a trend for many, many years now. But in COVID, it was an absolute disaster. And I think we're about to see another wave of 
uh, of independent business closures because the economy, you know, despite the current reporting on it, is in a complete and utter mess. And, you know, many companies are barely holding on as it is. And it looks very likely there's going to be another major kind of sharp downturn. You know, they've been predicting a recession for a while. And it's it's hard to imagine how many of these independent companies are going to be able to stay in business. And so, you know, with the exception of people like uh, Peterson and Adams, who on some fundamental level, and, you know, maybe this is unfair, but, uh, you know, you could say that they get lumped in with the whole attention economy thing. And there are some independent players in the attention economy. And they're kind of entertainers in a way. You know, even if it's serious news or even if it's serious philosophical or social or political uh, information that's being discussed, I mean, these things have some value, but, you know, entertainment has some value as well. But you could say that on, on some sort of aggregate level, it's all kind of entertainment. It's basically about attention, people paying attention to someone who's saying something, in essence, <laughs> And while, yeah, it does have some value, it's not like producing widgets, right? It's not a material aspect of the economy. So it's kind of like this frothy stuff on the surface, which does play a a feedback role in what happens elsewhere in the economy. But it's not infrastructure stuff. And when it comes down to it, you know, talk is kind of cheap. (laughs) The old saying was money talks and bullshit walks, right? And so if the only people... left with any hiring capability are the massive corporations, right, then most people are going to be, in essence, captured by that remaining earning potential. And and it's awfully hard to, you know, it may well be that, you know, what the vision that I get, the image that I start to see is that independent voices basically become entertainers. It's very much like Black Mirror Season 1, Episode 2. It's the sweepstakes. You know, everyone is riding a bike. Those of you who haven't seen it, I'll I'll try to describe it briefly. Everyone's uh, riding a stationary bike, slogging it out in an effort to keep the civilization running. That's how they're generating electricity, I guess. So everyone is essentially assigned to a gym where there is a TV in front of them, and they're pedaling away on their shift, and they get to watch whatever they want. And the dream of everyone who's pedaling their life away is that they might be one of these lucky people who ends up being on the screen to entertain them while they're pedaling. It's an incredible way of kind of summarizing the world that we're living in, right? The attention economy sweepstakes. And it's the tragic story of... What happens to a couple of characters who actually get to be on the uh, attention economy screen? I won't ruin it for those of you who haven't seen it. I definitely recommend it. It's something that's stuck with me ever since. And, you know, I I immediately recognized, oh, yeah, that's exactly how it is for some segment of of society, without a doubt. I mean, that, that was pretty clear. But now I wonder, you know, wow, writ large, I mean, is that kind of the sum total situation 
And, you know, speaking to the notion of freedom, you know, basically sitting there peddling your life away with some, you know, hardcore kind of military grade entertainment to keep you going. Yeah, I mean, that that does seem to be a, a way of viewing what's going on right now. And then that whole kind of question of the divide, you know, between those who are on one side of the screen, those who are on the other, and and the horror of what it means to be on the other side of the screen. <laughs> it's... Oh. So, one of the interesting things about Scott Adams is that if you believe him, and, you know, it's kind of hard to tell, uh, he's someone who has some interesting things to say, without a doubt, but there's another level where it's like, eh, I'm not sure if he really has his his uh, whole thing together to the extent that he likes to pre- pretend that it is. But um, but certainly what he's focusing on is what people could do to improve their lives. You know, that sounds like a non sequitur, but if you actually listen to what he's talking about, his primary concern is like, you know, he wrote that book that's basically like, how to fail at everything and win bigly. I think that's what it's called. And so, you know, a lot of what he spends his energy doing when it comes to discussing things with people is, well, how do you maximize your life? How do you get the most out of it? How do you, uh, how do you succeed? You know, which is a common thing for people in the attention economy to do. It's like, you know, Tony Robbins and it's you know, a lot of people are off. I mean, Jordan Peterson is like that, too. He's basically like, get your life together. Here's how you do it. Right. And and the interesting thing, of course, about Dilbert is that it's all about corporate culture and the insanity of corporate culture. And so much of it is, you know, the kind of thing that would lead one to want to leave corporate culture. So in, in some ways, you could say Dilbert represents an attitude that's poking fun at this thing that every you know, so many people in the world have to endure because they're part of corporate culture. <laughs> but, you know, there's a certain amount of luxury like he he's no, known how to tread that fine line to not make it offensive to people who are still in corporate culture so they can kind of get a laugh out of it and and burn off some of that energy that that probably, you know, simmering frustrations from having to deal with all the bullshit that happens in corporate corporate culture and or the other all the other institutions of government, what have you. But of course, you know, he's doing this from the position of someone who's managed to escape to a large extent corporate culture. And he didn't even identify himself as being free until he was completely canceled from that world. And so when he's talking about success, you know, you have to talk about success within the context of what's possible in a life. And most of that is, well, getting into corporate culture, which is the thing that he's been in essence, poking fun at and trying to escape his whole life. (laughs) His career is making fun of the thing that people who are pulling up their bootstraps have as their most likely option when it comes to not being a complete failure in life. And, you know, I think there's something similar. You know, one of the problems that I've had with Peterson is like the whole... There is a kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and great, you know, I'm all for the self-improvement thing and clean up your room is definitely some advice that that I could stand to follow. 
better than I do, without a doubt. But it's always a question of, well, what is there available for people to, you know, ultimately the hope here, right, is that there's a future where people like Adams and Peterson will lead us into a new economy where there are opportunities for people outside of the corporate domain. But when I see what what's happening in the economy writ large, I see the wholesale shedding of jobs that are outside of the corporate sector. And that makes me really spooked. So, I mean, I am all in favor of this, you know, I'm gonna, I guess I'll have to characterize it as right-leaning alternative to these uh, mainstream structures to the corporate. Stru- I mean, it's really not to say fair to say right leaning. Both Peterson and Scott Adams come from a liberal, and they they I still identify as liberals, but they've come to represent a kind of reactionary movement within the right, which isn't necessarily anti corporate. You know, so maybe what we'll see is a is a difference of attitude within the corporations. And certainly, you know, with someone like Elon Musk, who's apparently really distancing himself from the, let's say, woke element of the corporate world, maybe there's going to be a reform within corporate structures that would allow people to have jobs that would be more fulfilling, where they could still speak their minds and have their own sense of self. You know, maybe we're going to see a bifurcation in our society because I don't think the woke stuff is going away. I hope it does, but I don't think it is. I think that it's pretty well entrenched. And, uh, you know, whether it's going to take over the whole game, I mean, it probably won't take over the whole game. But, you know, I think freedom as a as a fundamental aspect of my, of contemporary life is, well, as I've said in the past couple episodes, it's always been a dodgy proposition. But on the most basic level, uh, there being some sort of an opportunity for people to find themselves in a position where they are able to have their own opinions, their own life, their own exploration of existence... I mean, in a sense, it comes down to dignity, having the dignity of of a life that you live as you see fit within the context of some kind of a world that will allow you to live. So an opportunity, a job opportunity. You know, on one hand, I see some big trends that are frightening. But then, you know, because of these relatively prominent voices, and in particular, I think because of Musk, because he's so integrated into the cutting edge of both the corporate world and the technology world. And I think in some respects, also government, because he's got these intelligence contracts and is involved in in the military. So, you know, maybe there's some hopeful signs here. It's just very interesting. It's an interesting time. And, and you know, I, I am somewhat of a, I'm very much a, a bystander to a lot of this. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, basically a failed uh, attention economy commentator in some respects. And I'm not sure exactly what my role is in it. You know, I listen to a lot of stuff and I feel like there are things that are not being put together. 
So I, I think I put a couple things together in this one that are not ordinarily put together. So I guess that's what I feel like my my role is. You know, there was a, a book I read when I was a kid called Ridley Walker. And it's about a apocalyptic world uh, not far in the future where the world has been destroyed by... Uh, presumably nuclear weapons, I suppose. And um, the survivors are, you know, a number of generations have gone by and people have sort of forgotten what happened and they make up stories about it and they're trying to cobble together a life in the wreckage. And they're speaking a language that uh, we don't speak. So it's kind of a, a, a language that has changed and you have to decode it as you read the book, which is awesome. It's a really awesome book. And one of the kind of jobs of the people in that society is called connection man. Someone who makes connections between things that, you know, where the relationship between them was not noticed prior. And I, I always felt a certain amount of identification with that gig. So I guess that's that's what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for a gig in the attention economy as a connection man. One of the other things that I've been noticing is that, you know, I think people subscribe for one of several reasons. And then when I spend too much time doing one of the things that someone's not interested in, then they just unsubscribe. So I may have to like subdivide things here so that the Assembly of Silence is one totally separate thing, and the Taiji reality is another separate thing, and the Liberation Readings is another separate thing, and maybe, you know, if I, you know, there's a little bit of musical activity going on, so that should probably be separate too. That's too many separate things, you know, that's why I just threw it all into Taiji reality. But I think that <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe having one location for... You know, I really love the idea of simplifying it and just putting it all in a substack and having it just be what it is. But I think maybe I'm going to have to change that. I don't know. We'll see. Any thoughts? Much appreciated if you want to share them. Okay. You all take care. <laughs>